0: It's the difficult and unexpected seasons of life that you and I receive an invitation for transformation, though. But not just to change us, but to send us on mission. To get us to the places that we never thought we would ever get to if we didn't go through these unexpected seasons first and foremost. So let me ask this question, and this is kind of the background question I want you to begin to ponder. Could it be that during our unexpected seasons that Jesus is actually at work? Uh, I kind of want to start off, uh, well, first of all, the message here is unexpected. Finding Jesus in the unexpected. And I kind of want to start with just a, uh, I guess, a reflection question that I'll just kind of pose to you guys. Have you ever found yourself, well, actually, Jeff just kind of teed this up. I mean, have you ever found yourself in an unexpected moment? Have you ever had a moment in time when your expectations were just drastically not met? You had one idea of how things were going to go, and then it just did not at all go that way. Well, it's, uh, give a little illustration, I guess it's it's technically July, so we can celebrate Christmas, right? Christmas in July. So, it, it works. So, you guys remember the the, the Christmas movie, the, the the famous, the classic, A Christmas Story, right? Who's a fan? Who doesn't like it? Just curious. There's always a couple, yeah. There's always a couple that just don't like it, and I don't get it, but whatever, but 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 there's a if you remember you guys are pretty looks like why show of hands looks like you guys are pretty familiar with with the movie. So Ralphie, the young boy, all he wants for Christmas is what? Red Ryder Carbon Action 200 shot BB gun. Like, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Yes. And that's that's all he wants. That's all he wants. If he didn't get anything else, that's that's fine, right? And what, what happens is he's, he's constantly met with the same response from every adult. What is it? Say it on the count of three. One, two, three. You'll shoot your eye out. Yes. Thank you. Participation this morning. But so it's Christmas Day, right? They wake up, him and his, his little brother Randy. They rush down the stairs and uh, run to the tree. Randy's just already shaking everything and, and getting ready to uh, open things up and they finally, the parents, stroll out of bed, come downstairs. They have their Christmas time of opening presents. And, and at the very end of the day, he uh, doesn't get what he wanted. Instead, he gets, gets this. Right? Yeah. A well-intentioned, homemade pink bunny outfit made by the loving hands of Aunt Clara. Hallelujah. <laughs> just what he wanted, right? He wanted a BB gun. I love it because his, his his dad says he looks like a pink nightmare. I love it; it's hilarious. But talk about dashed expectations, right? That the only thing he wanted was that BB gun, and and then you end up with this. How miserable! But I actually we have a, a family story as well of just this, this this time of wondering what was going on. We we a while back, years back. We were following, my family, we were following God's call for what we, you know, discerned to be his call. And on the, the back end of it, we were just kind of left wondering, like, scratching our heads, wondering what was that all about? And early on in, in, our, in our marriage, uh, my wife and I, along with a college friend of mine, we, we had these kind of grandiose plans of, of doing ministry together. We were going to actually move out to Connecticut. We were living in Illinois at the time. And we were going to move out to Connecticut and do ministry. And what ended up happening was, just to make a super, super long story short, there's a lot to it, but basically I went out early. I went out early to go um, uh, get some work, find a place to live, get things kind of set up. And then, and then uh, my oldest daughter was, was young at the time, so it was just the three of us. I was away from them for nine months trying to get things established. That's a very long time to be away from your family. Finally, we get out there, and it just got worse. Like, uh, things just fell apart. All these plans just began to just fall away. Uh, my, my good college friend who we were going out there to do ministry started having some, some just issues within his uh marriage, and it started just kind of affecting the relationships, even with us, and uh, the church that we were, uh, we weren't really serving, but being a part of at that time when we were first getting out there, um, scandal broke out there. There was a, a pastor who um, allegedly was uh, having an affair, They were embezzling money, he was originally from England, his visa got stopped, I mean, it was just like... What is going on? This these are not like little things. These are major things that's going on. Uh work was drying up. Uh it just running out of money, you know. Uh my wife actually became the uh the manager of a, a farm manager of a uh, a town farm. The, the this town actually owned this farm and creamery. And they would uh sell raw milk and ice cream and stuff like that and they had this uh Plot of land, so they would. It was a dairy, so they were milking cows. But then, um, also had some vegetables and stuff that people could come and and uh, it's kind of like an assistance program to where people could come and get some fresh vegetables and stuff like that. And it's a very cool idea that the town had, and it had been that way for for a very long time. But my wife uh, came in, started ma- managing the town uh, farm, and the The state comes in and said that there's an e coli outbreak, and that somebody apparently had some raw milk, got e coli it, long, long story short, basically it was a very very political, motivated investigation they were, essentially they didn't want to sell raw milk in the state anymore, and they needed to kind of peg it on something you know and uh, the cow that they said this is the cow it came from this one after they're big and investigation. Um, it was a dry cow. It wasn't even milking. <laughs> but whatever. Um, you know, no big deal. Um, and, uh, uh, but this all happened, so this happened before, uh, apparently, the this outbreak happened before my wife came on. She came on as the manager and then just had to deal with this. So, I mean, we came home day after day just exhausted spiritually, you know, emotionally, physically. It was just, it was it was tough. It was a very tough season, and uh, it was one of those things where we look back on that season, even now, to some degree, and we're just like, what, what was that for? Kind of like what Jeff was saying for communion. Like, why? 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 Why did we have to go through that? Lord, we genuinely thought we were following you, and all of a sudden, we're, you know, we uh Racked up some debt just to try to keep things going. We lost a relationship with one of my best friends. The stress was unbearable. Why? For what? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place like that? Have you ever been in a place of just uncertainty? It's the difficult and unexpected seasons of life that you and I receive an invitation for transformation, though. But not just to change us, but to send us on mission, to get us to the places that we never thought we would ever get to if we didn't go through these unexpected seasons, first and foremost. So let me ask this question, and this is kind of the background question I want you to begin to ponder. Could it be that during our unexpected seasons that Jesus is actually at work? I'm sure we'll all say, well, yes, because we're Christians and we just say that, right? <laughs> but let's dive into that. Let's explore that a little bit. I want to uh, ask you guys, just go ahead and join me. Let's, get a, uh, let's turn to Matthew 26. Before we read this here, though, um, and I encourage you guys, if you don't, I know we always post scriptures up on the screen here, but I encourage you guys to at least pull things up on your phone or bring your Bibles. It's really good to always just be in the Word yourself. And if you don't happen to bring it one day, you know, it's okay. It's, we've got it up here on the screen. But uh, it's a good habit to, to have. But uh, so before we read this passage, let me give a little bit of context. So the Jewish people were um, basically, uh, you know, captives in a sense that they were, uh, for, for hundreds of years, they had the, the Greeks who were over them. And then the Romans, who later, another empire that came in, and were over them. So they were occupied, right? They were not entirely free people. And so they have this theology of looking for a Messiah. And they base it out of New, or New Testament, Old Testament scripture. And they would take these, these passages and say, this is what the Messiah is going to do. He And, and it, it's got to happen. He's going to come. He's going to liberate us from the current occupiers, in this case, at this time that we're going to read here. It's, it's the Romans. The time of Jesus, you know, was the Romans. And, and the Messiah's going to come, and he's going to set us free. And he's going to establish his kingdom, and there will be a free people living in the, the reign and the rule of the Messiah. Right? So that's their context. And they've been waiting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for this to take place. Now, Let's go ahead and read Matthew 26. Go ahead and put it up there, guys. Let's read through this. This is the passage right after the Last Supper. You guys have probably read this many, many times. Right after the Last Supper, Jesus goes into the garden, right? And it's right before his, his arrest, and then which leads up immediately right into the, the crucifixion, right? So here he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's read. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face, and he prayed, and he prayed, saying, <clears throat> excuse me, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he went again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, If this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And I believe this passage is actually a narrative for us that kind of gives us a little bit of guidelines, a little bit of some principles, if you will, for us to walk with Jesus through times of uncertainty. The first thing I, I want to point out, first slide, or the next slide here is, is unexpected places. Jesus leads us to places that we do not anticipate. He does, and you've probably been there. <laughs> I'm sure we all have stories of, of, uh, about ending up somewhere that, that we least expected and, doing, and you being the, the one to do something that you never thought that you'd be the one doing. So this actually happens to Peter, James, and John. This is exactly what's happened to them. Jesus leads them to this place, to this garden, where basically it's at the point of his arrest. He leads them in there and they're not expecting or even prepared for that. They believe that the Messiah was gearing up to to overthrow the Romans and, and, and be their liberator, right? So how did they get to this place? Well, I mean, verse 36 actually tells us. It says they follow Jesus there. They follow Jesus here. And I think this is super, super important for us Because many of us have spent too much time looking backwards, asking, how did I get here? What did I do wrong? How do I go back? And we're not paying enough attention to what Jesus is doing right around us because we're trying to fix how we even got here. But the truth is, for most of us, we followed him there. We followed him there. And Jesus takes us to places that we would never thought we'd end up or might not even want to be. So Jesus takes this three with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And the last time Jesus actually takes the three, they end up witnessing the transfiguration. Remember that? They go up in the mount, and uh, at that point, Jesus pulls the same three, the same three along. Let's go over here. They go with him. And that time, they experience Jesus being transfigured, and then two other dudes show up, Moses and Elijah, some big-name people in, the, in, in their, you know, in their faith, <laughs> and they have this glorious time. Peter's even like, hey, should we make a booth? Let's have a party. You know, it actually was during the Feast of Tabernacles, which they make booths and stuff like that. So, Peter, I mean, I don't know if my response would be like, hey, let's make a booth, I'd be like, peeing my pants, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> so that that's that's what happened last time the three went with Jesus. So you get the feeling that arrest and betrayal was not what they were expecting this time around when they went with Jesus to the garden. Unexpected. They're probably thinking, hey guys, psst, it's getting closer. Jesus is going to make his move. He's going to be the one to overthrow these Romans. He's getting ready to do it. Get ready. Here we go. And instead, what do they witness? Jesus suffering and in agony and getting arrested and betrayed. The reality is when we follow Jesus, we're going to end up in places like that. But Jesus leads us there. But Jesus leads us there. But Jesus leads us there so we know that he is with us. And we know that he is at work in those places. So first he leads us to unexpected places. Second, an unexpected invitation. Jesus invites the disciples to watch and pray. He invites them to do something more than just, hey, come with me, guys. Just come be with me. Just be in the proximity of where I'm at. Just come on. He invites them into something. And if we take a step back from kind of the familiarity of this story, and we put ourselves in the sandals of the disciples, this instruction from Jesus would not be something that we would probably expect him to give. Because surely Jesus knows that, that kind of what's happening, right? He kind of even gave him, gave him pretty strong hints along the way. And so he knows what's happening. He knows what's going to unfold. And he knows eventually he's going to ascend back up to his father. He's going back to his father. Jesus knows this. And so surely Jesus might want to use this time in the garden to, uh, you know, cover the ground with some of these knuckleheads because pretty soon, in just a few couple weeks here, he's, he's going to leave them in charge of this thing called the church, and so he, he might want to just kind of explain how this whole church thing is supposed to work now, maybe give them some leadership, leadership structure, you know, he might want to clue them in a little bit. But Jesus doesn't cover any of that. He doesn't give them, you know, three keys to walking through persecution and difficulty. You know, like you go to a bookstore and everything is three keys to this, five steps, ten principles, you know, all these things, as if life is just so neat and easy, you just follow this and it works out great three keys, here's three keys to walking through persecution and difficulty. Now, guys, here, here's our five-year plan and strategy as we enter into our global expansion phase. No, he doesn't give them that. He doesn't give them that at all. He doesn't tell them how to even protect him from what's gonna happen. He doesn't tell them how to defend themselves from outside voices. He doesn't give any of that, knowing what's gonna happen. Instead, Jesus tells them What? Keep watch and pray. And that's the invitation. The invitation is actually focused on the person of Jesus. I'll explain this a little bit more. But when uncertainty and confusion abound, we aren't instructed. We're not instructed to to calm everything down and make sense of it all. We're not instructed to do that. We're invited to keep watch and pray with him. Let's first talk about keep watch. And this actually comes up quite frequently in uh, Jesus' teachings. Remember, for example, you guys remember the the, the story of the, the ten virgins? You guys remember that? And they had the, the oil, five had the oil, five didn't, all that. And he said, you know, keep watch and be ready. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm a child of the 80s, and I have some Rapture movie trauma. Anybody else? There's some scary movies. Watching that, The Thief in the Night. You guys know that, that was filmed here in Iowa, right? So uh, that thing freaked me out. That wasn't from Jesus. That was from Satan. That was terrible. Don't watch it. It freaked me out. So I used to think that this keeping watch thing was, had something to do with the second coming of Jesus. And it does at one level. It certainly does. But I actually think it's much more presently focused than it is keeping watch for the second coming, although we should do that. So as we read Scripture, we find that there's actually this sense of keeping watch and that we are paying attention to what Jesus is doing in any space, in any moment, at any place, at any time. And we, be, and we begin to understand that if we can find that we are keeping watch, then no matter where we find ourselves, in the darkness or difficulty surrounding us, then we know that Jesus is somewhere in the mix of that. And he's bringing about redemption. To who he is it's not just what he does, it's who he is. When he shows up, redemption happens. And so we are a people who are to keep watch for what Jesus is doing in every place we find ourselves. Every place we find ourselves. And we begin, when we begin to understand this, we, we, uh, we understand that keeping watch is not about looking outwardly. It's about looking for Jesus. I think it's super easy for us to uh, look at all the outward things. And, and we're easily distracted by it, right? We're distracted by the flashy. We're distracted by the shiny. We're, extract, uh, we're distracted by things that are threatening to us, that are fear-inducing. We're distracted by things that numb us out. We're distracted by things that are pleasure-granting. We're easily distracted by all of it. But are we really looking for Jesus and his redemption story and his acts in the midst of all this stuff? It's easy to say, we got to keep watch. And usually what that means for a lot of people is, again, we go this end times thing. We need to look, discern the signs of the time. Look, 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 look what the government's doing. Look what's happening over here. This, that, and that. And we're looking at the stuff. And we're not saying, Jesus, where are you right now in this moment where I'm standing? What are you doing right now? We're not watching for him. We're trying to discern the times. And on one level, that's okay, because we don't want to be ignorant. But it's so easy to get caught up in that. It's so easy to get caught up in that. And so there's a sense with the invitation to keep watch of presence. Jesus is telling his disciples, he's saying, I want you with me me. Watch with me. Wait with me. Labor with me. Groan with me. And he really isn't even asking the disciples to do anything. He's just asking them to be with him and be engaged in the ambiguity. Be engaged. And this can be one of the hardest things to do, right? 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 That's hard. That's hard to do. Be present and engage with Jesus when you don't even know what He's doing, when you don't know what you should be doing. That's tough. That's tough for us. We're so conditioned to always just be doing something. It's who we are. We're driven that way. Our culture is very productive, produce. And we don't know how to settle in and just be with Him and just watch for Him. And look kind of behind the curtain, if you will, right? So Jesus is saying, Wake up! You don't have to understand it. It's okay. You don't have to understand it. And you don't even have to manage it. You don't even have to meet certain outcomes. But what I'm asking of you is that you keep watch with me and just stay engaged. And that you don't numb out, you don't go away. And you embrace the ambiguity and the questions, and you trust me in the midst of it because you are keeping watch with me. So in keeping watch, there's this eye of keeping your eyes on Jesus, right? It's a hard thing to do. We've got so many responsibilities in life. People are asking us so many questions, and honestly, we we don't even have answers for all of them. We don't. We have all these balls up in the air that we're trying to juggle. And Jesus is like, you can't lead well enough while juggling. You're not a good, you're not that great of a juggler to lead some people, right? We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And that's the invitation. That is the invitation. It's so simple on one level, but it can be challenging because we really have to fight against the flesh. Remember Jesus said, the spirit is willing. Your spirit is right now is willing. It wants that. It wants Jesus, but the flesh is weak. A lot of times people kind of say that, almost to say that the the flesh is more powerful than the spirit. And I don't, I would almost kind of think of it the other way. If the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, man, then punch through that paper bag, that wet paper bag. Punch through it. Your spirit's willing and the flesh is weak. Just lean in. Lean into him. It's not passive might sound like I'm talking about something passive. It's not passive. You're very much engaged, but it's an act of faith. We know that faith pleases God. And so I feel like by us looking to other things, we often, really, we kind of look to other things other than Jesus. Let's be honest. We do. And if we want to really call a spade a spade, it's really kind of an act of defiance. If we're going to be real honest with ourselves. But the reality is we serve a different king. (laughs) Amen? We're not part of this world. We're not. We are citizens of another kingdom. And we will not bow our knees to any other. Amen? So let's fix our eyes and gaze upon him so we can keep watch with him. I I work in um, Christian higher education. And I... I had this student who I kind of help with the enrollment side of things, so new students coming in and all that. And I was helping this student who I was getting the cold shoulder from. Um, they said they were interested, they wanted to move forward, and all that, but they just they just wouldn't respond. You'd ask questions, very short to the point answers, if they even would answer. Um, and come to find out, you know, there was just a bunch of personal challenges going on in a life, and and. Um, Long story short, we got her through the enrollment process. She started her first class, and I just kind of thought, you know, for sure she's probably just going to drop, either during the first class or shortly afterwards at some point. And some time goes goes by, and, and all of a sudden I get a call, and it's her. And at first I didn't even recognize her. And she was thanking me. And she was saying how much even in a short time of her, her stint at the, the college there, how much her faith has grown and how much uh, she has grown in confidence and boldness. And, I mean, she really did sound like a different person. And most people would have taken no for, as an answer, but I just felt like the Lord was saying, just call her again. Just call her again. He led me into another conversation. That's it. It was just following Jesus there. I'm just following him there. And by all, you know, things of the natural, it just seems like, no, she's just not, she's probably going to drop off. And that's okay, that happens. But that's probably what was going to happen to her. But she was a brand new person, and she was just revitalized. And she was sharing about all the things. Because there were times when I I was encouraging her, there were times that I was just listening. There were times that I was honestly, I was kind of challenging her, her thought process on things. I did it in a very loving way because I really did care about her. And Jesus just said, call her up again, you know, and we'd go through that process. And, and, uh, and she ended up just being transformed, transformed in the process. And I didn't realize at the time that he was at work. And that's just a simple just a a, a blip in the life of Josh Wheeler at work. That's just one little example. It's not some big grandiose thing, but it's just one little example of we're just kind of watching for Jesus. And even though it looks like nothing's happening, if Jesus is leading us there, he's at work there. He's at work there, and we can trust that. And so when other people see hopelessness or places where we should just leave and step away from As people who watch, we step forward into it. When you keep watch with Jesus, you go places that other people don't go. You have hope when other people have no hope. And you get to move forward and be part of the redemption that Jesus is bringing. So we can actually say, wherever I find myself, Jesus, wherever, wherever I find myself, I know you are here, and I'm going to find you in it. And I'm going to join in on what you are presently doing. It's a different mindset than saying, Lord, bless what I'm doing. It's saying, I acknowledge you're here and you're doing your ministry. And I want to step into it and partner with you in it. Rather than thinking we know what needs to happen. And just trusting the one who actually does. Right. So the second part of the invitation. First is to watch, to keep watch. The second is to Pray. And so the, the narrative here, Jesus is the one praying, right? The disciples don't really participate, and they are just they just fall asleep. And Jesus actually models what, what this looks like, okay? So I, I don't know about you, but um, there's kind of a, a gap between how I was taught to pray and my understanding of prayer and what we see here in this narrative with Jesus. Because I don't see Jesus telling God, the Father, um, what to do, <laughs> right? How many times are our prayers kind of like that? Lord, I need this. Please help me step in and do this, or, you know, whatever. It's We kind of just boss God around, <laughs> if we're kind of honest. And there's not a, lo- a lot of looking forward to, like, what your future's going to be, or, you know, in, in that sense. I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but I'm just saying I don't see that here in this narrative, What I actually see in this is a whole lot of wrestling. That's what I actually see. It's actually what Jesus is doing is it's a prayer of reordering. In this wrestling through prayer, he is essentially saying, God, Father, will you invert your will and my will? And that's his prayer. That's all we know that he was praying. Will you invert your will and my will? It's a reordering prayer. And so I become a a person who isn't looking for what I think God should do, but instead surrender to his will, no matter what the cost is. And that is the type of prayer that works in uncertainty, in places we never expected to be in those seasons. And we don't know what to do next in those seasons, but what we do know is that Jesus does, right? So this prayer is kind of the right prayer. (laughs) When when you don't know what to do, that's a good time to say, I bow my will, I bow my volition, I bow it all to you, Lord, and I entrust myself to you. And you know what that is? Very simply, that's faith. That is personal faith entrustment that's what faith is if i if i were to sit on down on a chair i'm putting my faith i'm trusting putting some personal entrustment into that chair that it's going to hold me up right if it's a little wonky (laughs) you don't want to you're not going to put your faith in that chair if it looks like like it's weak and unstable right that's what faith is saying God is solid enough that I can basically just kind of put my life and trust him and just say, I give it to you. I bow my volition. I bow my will to you. I trust you because I know who you are. I, I, you are who you say you are, and you will do what you have always done and will continue to do. And I can trust that. I can take it to the bank. So this is the type of prayer that Jesus invites us into. And it's a wrestling prayer, a reordering prayer. It's a prayer that basically what it does is it sets our faces to the cross. Jesus had to pray that prayer in order to be able to set his face to the cross. He had to come to the place to say, not my will, Father, but yours. That is when you can set your face to the cross. I like what Eugene Peterson says, if you want to put up this quote here. He says, prayer is engaging God, and engaging that is seldom accomplished by a murmured greeting and a conventional handshake. The engaged, at least in the initial stages, or the engagement, is, is more like a quarrel than a greeting, more like a wrestling match than a warm embrace. And how could it be otherwise? This world, this reality, revealed by God speaking to us, is not the kind of world in, in which to which we are accustomed. It's not a neat and tidy world in which we are control. There is mystery everywhere that takes considerable getting used to. And until we do it, it scares us. It is not a predictable cause-effect world in which we can plan our careers and secure our futures. There is suffering and poverty and abuse at which we cry out in pain and indignation. How can you let this happen? For most of us, it takes years and years to exchange our dream world for the real world of grace and mercy, sacrifice and love, freedom and joy. And this actually gives me hope. That sounds almost a little scary, a little depressing, but it actually gives me hope. You know why? Because I've wrestled before. I've had questions like this before. I've wrestled with why the world is the way it is and it's not different from what it's it it's totally different, excuse me, than what I think it should be. I've wrestled with that. I've had seasons of that. I the very beginning I explained a season like that. This is not what I expected. And I wrestled we wrestle with how God is, is intervening or not intervening. and we Basically, what you do during this time of prayer, in this wrestling, reordering prayer, is you take all of those questions and, 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 and all of the wrestling, and what we can do often is we can set it, stuff it down, or we can set it aside and think, well, I'll just, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't have any answers. I'll just think about it later. And then what happens is sometimes, not always, but sometimes there can kind of be a little bit of shame that even kind of comes in with that. We feel like, you know, I, I shouldn't be wrestling like this. You know, I should have more faith. I should be further along in my Christian walk. You know, the enemy comes in and plays those mind games. He's a punk. But what we see with Eugene Peterson's uh, quote and what Jesus modeled for us in this, in this narrative is that actually the invitation is to take those very doubts, to take those questions take them out of the dark, take them out of the hidden places where we've stored them and stuffed them down and ignored them, and we bring them into the presence of Jesus as prayer. Here. And our wrestling can actually be sanctified by the presence of God. And that actually becomes prayer that prepares us for what God has for us. Do you believe that? that only happens when we bring it to him right it only happens when you bring it to him and when we are keeping our eyes on him and watching with him when we're aware of what he is doing and then just joining him in it and then we get to bring at that point all of our questions we get to bring them to him not out of shame but out of actually great hope you can bring them all even though it it seems it seems uh well, like, paradoxical, you know, in a sense. Like, I don't have no answers, but I've got such great hope. <laughs> what? Seems, doesn't make sense to the mind. But hope that we know that he can handle them. And he will meet us there. And he, it actually pleases him. That's the amazing thing. That actually pleases him for us to do that. And what happens is that becomes an engagement and an exchange that takes place. And it's in that place that we are changed. And that leads us to the third point, that God is a God of unexpected transformation. Jesus doesn't just ask us and, and, and bring us along to unexpected places just to see how we'll handle it. He doesn't just do that. And he doesn't just invite us to do stuff that we never saw coming. But with God we are always we always know that he is he's leading us, he's guiding us, he's shaping us, he's sanctifying us and he's transforming us more and more into his image. And we always do have a choice in that matter, though. Are we going to allow him to transform us or are we going to fight for control or are we going to strong arm the story of redemption basically so it meets our expectations? Again, And it's interesting how we kind of have this comparison uh, that comes out of this passage. So on one hand, the disciples, they come out of this this narrative, this passage here, and they haven't watched. They haven't prayed. Basically, they they slept through the prayer meeting, right? And they come out of the garden, and they don't do well at all. They don't surrender in the garden to a not-my-will-but-yours posture. And instead, they're flailing all about, trying to return back, to the narrative that meets their expectations. Think about it. One of the disciples grabs a sword and cuts the ear off, off of the servant of the high priest, right? Their idea of, of the Messiah was a military conqueror who's going to liberate them from the Romans. They don't, they, don't, they don't watch and pray with Jesus in the garden, and so they come out and they return back to the narrative of like, well, I'm going to grab the sword and I'm going to chop your ear off. I missed, I was going for your head, but hey, I'm a bad shot. You know, but that's what they turn out to. So one of the ways that we can deal with times of uncertainty is we can either start fighting, we start grasping for things and start fighting, or we can run, we can flee. Hey, I thought this was going to be a party. (laughs) I didn't know that this is what church was all about. I'm out of here. Following Jesus, this is, what? I didn't expect to be here doing this. This looks like my life is actually calling, falling apart. And we can flee. And actually, Peter does this. If You remember? You kind of remember the whole story of all this. Peter, Peter begins to follow at a distance. At one time, he thinks, you know, I'm not like those other disciples. But then later on, he follows far enough away basically so that he has Complete deniability. I'm not with them. (laughs) I don't know who they are. And finally, he just flat out denies, right? He was asked three different times. And he denied three times. When we lose our focus on Jesus, we begin to kind of parse who we're not like. (laughs) And that's what Jesus or uh, Peter did. I'm not like, I don't know the man. I don't know. And he flees because it didn't meet his expectation. And he missed out in the process of watching and praying. And to be honest, guys, those are natural responses that we just kind of default into. But it's only because we haven't watched and we haven't prayed. We're not watching for Jesus in those moments. We We haven't been with Not do, we haven't been with him in the ambiguity of it all. And in those places that just don't make sense to us. So that's what you have on one hand. But then on the other hand, we have Jesus who is embodying this, keeping watch with the Father. And he's prayed and he's prepared and he's wrestled and he comes to the point of of, of praying, not your will, or excuse me. That would be backwards. Not my will, but yours. And Jesus emerges from the garden totally different than the disciples, right? He emerges with his face set to the cross. He's fully aware of the redemptive purposes and the redemptive process that is being enacted in that moment. He's fully aware of it. The others have no clue, but Jesus is the one tuned in. He spent time with the Father in that time of ambiguity and questions and wrestling. But the the, the great thing about this story is that it's not the end of the story. It's not like, um, you know, the the disciples didn't do a good job. They failed. The end. Let's go home. We had church. See you guys later. You know, that's not the end of the story. The the good news is there's more to it. And what we see is this is actually the beginning of a process even for the disciples because the way – we see the disciples respond to the unexpected, the the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. All of the things that they trusted in is actually now beginning to bubble up to the surface. And now, guess what? Like it or not, they have to deal with it. They expected the Messiah to overthrow the Romans and establish his kingdom, and it's not happening the way they thought it was going to happen. They had plans for what we could say for us today what church should look like, for what this business that I'm a business owner of, what it should look like. I have my expectations and plans of what it should be, and I've had all the training for it, and I know these are proven principles, right? And on one hand, that's good, but it's so much better to watch with Jesus, and unless the Lord builds the house, the labor's labor in vain. And so they're actually having to deal with this now. <laughs> and that's hard. That's a difficult place to be. It's not fun when you have to actually deal with that stuff of unmet expectations and why you had those expectations and now being confronted with something totally different. Because after the crucifixion, once Jesus was crucified, they all go run, hide, and flee, right? They hide. But after the, the resurrection, and I love this part, is that Jesus goes and finds them. He just didn't leave them. He finds them. He goes after them. He restores them, and he brings them back. And this is what I love about this story, is that by the end of the book of Matthew, in chapter 28, so two chapters later, the disciples are totally different. Because the next time Jesus invites them to an unexpected place for an unexpected event... They respond completely different. In Matthew 28, Jesus, we'll read it here in a second, but Jesus basically tells the disciples, go to Galilee and meet me at the mountain. That's what he tells them. Now, they didn't know what was going to go on again. They don't know where he's taking them, but they go with him. And another thing that they did not expect is about to happen. This is after the resurrection. Jesus is leaving they're not expecting that. He's going back to the Father. Let's read Matthew 28. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. When they saw him, when they watched for him, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some were doubtful. It's okay. It's okay to still have doubts. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In other words, baptize them into the reality of the Trinity, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You guys want to come on up? So, this time the disciples they keep watch with Jesus. Now, they, they still don't know what's going on, they, they still have doubts. We just read that. They didn't know where they were going, it said some doubted, but this time they're keeping their eyes on Jesus. And as they they watch and pray in his presence, they are transformed and commissioned to a mission that they never imagined. Basically, before the garden, all they could think about was just kicking the Romans out. Before the garden, that's all they could think about. That's what the Messiah came to do. That's what he's going to do. And their idea and their expectation of what the kingdom was and is and what it's going to be was so small and limited because by the time we actually get to the end of chapter 28, Jesus is saying things like, to the ends of the earth. Ah, uh, What? I just, we just didn't want to be under the rule of the Romans. That's it. Jesus is saying, to the ends of the earth. And they had no grid work. They had no context for that. But God was positioning them for something greater that they never could have imagined themselves. And this is what I want to emphasize. So everything that I have said from the very beginning, it all leads up to this one statement. So please hear me. And that is, the garden leads to the great commission. The garden leads to the great commission. Now you may have been spending a lot of time in the garden. Maybe you've had previous seasons like that. And maybe you've had the hidden things in your heart, all the hopes, the things we trusted in other than Jesus, it's all kind of just being revealed and brought up to the surface. And we've wrestled, we've been wounded, we've been embarrassed, but we've also been healed and forgiven. And all of this stuff, right? And all of this is part of the transformation process that Jesus is inviting us into because he has a mission for us that we could never get to if we don't walk with him through the garden. And as we begin to kind of think about where maybe God is sending us, maybe in this next season, I want to invite us to consider the fact that God is sending us to places we've never imagined before. And there's things we're going to need to lay aside. There are expectations and visions and dreams of how we lead, how we do life, how we, how we lead our families, how we lead the church, how we lead our businesses, how we lead as employees. It doesn't matter in the school. It, we can have all these expectations, and we've got to be willing to lay them aside. They had to lay, the disciples had to lay aside their version of the Messiah and how he was going to bring the kingdom, they had to lay it aside. Their expectations were not met. But now, you know what? But now we do it with great hope. We can lay those things down because you know why? Because now we are not my will, but your will, people. And that's the transformation that the garden brings. We participate and respond to God's invitation. Keep watch. Pray with me. We are a resurrection people. And I sense in this moment, God is resurrecting us to mission. His mission, not our own, not my will. His mission, being about the Father's business. So where is God inviting you to be with him? And where has your gaze been everywhere else but Jesus? Wrestle with it. Wrestle with it. Wrestle with him in it. The invitation is simply to keep watch. And honestly, maybe some of you guys are in a different, slightly different place, and you're just wondering, like, uh, how long do I have to stay in this place? <laughs> And something's maybe even stirring in in your heart already for for a mission that you don't even fully have words yet. You just know something's stirring. I don't even know what it is. I just feel unsettled, and there's stirring. There's something going on. And maybe it isn't what you always told people that you were going to be doing. And for some reason, now things are just totally up in the air. The apple cart has been tipped over. It's all up in the air. And you've always said, it's going to look like this. I'm going to be doing this. And now it's totally different. Totally different than what was on your five-year plan. Whatever, I, whatever it is, I do know this. God is resurrecting us to mission. The garden always leads to the Great Commission. The gar- Say it with me. The garden always leads to the Great Commission. Say it again. The garden always leads to the Great Commission. So where is he sending you? Where is he inviting you to join in on what he's already doing and bringing about as he's bringing about the redemption of all things to the ends of the earth. He has a mission for you and me to participate in. But the reality is we've, we've got to walk through the garden first. When you follow Jesus, he leads us to unexpected places. Places you never thought you would be. And he gives us unexpected invitations, doing things we never thought we would ever do. But that also leads to unexpected and glorious transformation. Let's pray. Father, we really, really, really love you. And when we don't have answers to things, Lord, we just come to be with you. You say, come, be with me. Watch with me. Just pray with me. Don't manage it. Don't try to control it. Don't just be with me. And if you're picking up that his heart is groaning, then groan with him. If you pick up that his heart is leading to laughter, then, leave, then laugh with him. But be with him. Be with him. We want to be those people, Father. And it takes oftentimes a lot of wrestling, a lot of reordering. So even now, As you're speaking to each one of your sons and daughters, you're highlighting those places. And it's the love of the Father that he would do that to you. It's the love of the Father that he would keep, that, you, that where you kept that in the darkness, that he would say, no, let's, let's just bring it out. Let's address it. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's just deal with it because I'm going to transform you into something that you never saw coming. I'm going to send you on a mission that you don't even have words to describe at this time. We love you. 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 Sometimes that's just the only right prayer to pray. It's just we love you. And in that, even that is surrender. We love you. Not your will, or not my will, excuse me. Not my will, but yours. That you may be glorified, that you may be lifted high, that you may be the light of the world shining in and through us to the ends of the earth. Holy Spirit, minister to your people. Minister to your people right now. Don't numb out, guys. Don't numb out. Don't check out. Lean in. Lean in. Lean in. Lean in. We're easily distracted. Admit that. Wrestle with that. But lean in and be with him for just a moment longer. Hear his voice personally for you. Because you're a son, you're a daughter. His sheep know his voice. You know his voice. Well, I, I don't know that I do. No, 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 no. It's, it, it, it's his job that to get you to know it. <laughs> you can even entrust yourself in that. That he'll teach you to learn how to hear his voice. So just give that over. Say, you know, I don't need to, I don't need to manage even that. It's his work. He's doing it. Lean in. And surrender. Walk with him through the garden so that you'll be sent out in the Great Commission. In Jesus' name, amen.